Welcome into the Republic of Football, driven by your North Texas Honda dealer. It is their job to be helpful. Stop by your most convenient North Texas Honda dealer to find out how they can be helpful for you. My name is Greg Tepper. I am the managing editor of Dave Campbell's Texas Football Magazine, and I am not the host of most of the shows of Republic of Football. Instead, that is our... Uh, once and future host, I suppose, David Ubbin, now of The Athletic. Uh, we go to Knoxville, Tennessee. David Ubbin, do you read me? I do, I do. Maybe, maybe this will be uh, the 12th country before too long. Do you... some hot realignment rumors, get it going. Oh, let's, let's go, and, and you are now at The Athletic covering Tennessee, so I have to ask you, how many times have you heard Rocky Top since you have arrived? Well, so basically when you go downtown, they just have giant tower speakers. They just play it on repeat. There's various places around the city. And then there's like kind of helicopters that sort of circle generally the Knoxville area and its surrounding areas uh, also uh, playing it synchronized with the speakers, obviously. So uh, a few times, a few times, Uh, generally. I I imagine that that is... uh... Uh, I feel like everybody in in Texas knows all most of the Texas-based fight songs. I, I feel like in that part, that's a part of the world that you know we're a little bit separated by. Um, but I think you quickly get, um, you know, let's just say, um, hit with Rocky Top. Acquainted, acquainted <laughs> with. There you go. You get acquainted <laughs> with it. Uh, pretty quickly. Uh, well, David. Yeah, as somebody who I started out my career covering Oklahoma, so I, I'm used to the uh, the, Boy, the grossly repetitive. It's it's just one big circle. Yeah, you know, time is a flat circle, as they say. What I'm trying to think. So it's it's probably it's Boomer Sooner. It's Rocky Top. Um, those are kind of the those are kind of the the like. And the, the thing is, Rocky Top, not Tennessee's fight song. Really, really, I did not. We know learned that. all kinds of stuff. I know. Their fight song, they don't play that much. Rocky Top is just a song people like. That's their that's their Sweet Home Alabama. <laughs> it pretty much is. Cause that's, that's, it's quite a thing. I, I imagine, because I'm sure the Big Ten has one that we're not thinking of. Maybe it's Hail to the Victors that you just hear yeah, all the but time. I don't, think you, I don't think you hear that on repeat. I think just Michigan is so prominent, and that's mm-hmm. one of the best fight songs. But, but in terms of, I'd like to see some advanced analytics of plays per game from the, the fight songs, like which schools abuse songs the most, certainly Boy. Rocky Top and Boomer Sooner would have to be in a league of their own. Yeah. I think. Maybe I'm wrong. You know, the only that's, one... That's my personal hypothesis. And I promise we will get into the actual meat of the podcast here in a moment, <laughs> but the one... I haven't I actually haven't talked to David in a couple weeks, so I've got all this, these, been a while. These, these things talk, uh, stored up. Um, LSU's Tiger Rag is certainly one that You'll hear it now. Part of that again, I do wonder how much of it is that they play it a lot, and how much of it is that they're good. Because I yeah, meant, like, for example, for example, uh, I don't know what Florida International's fight song is, and they could play it every time they score, and I would still never know what their fight song is. But I'm sorry, Butch Davis doesn't know what their fight song is either. 
<laughs> okay, let's get into the actual meat of the conversation. We've got David Ubbin on the line to talk about his contributions to the 2018 Summer Edition of Dave Campbell's Texas Football, which hits store shelves around the state of Texas at the end of June. You can order it now at texasfootball.com to become a Dave Campbell's Texas Football Insider. And uh, one of the major, I would say the major, um, contribution that David Ubbin made to this is the cover story. Uh, the main feature of the 2018 Summer Edition of Dave Campbell's Texas Football featuring Jimbo Fisher, Texas A&M coach, uh, the, the guy who has been christened as the guy to bring Texas A&M into the national spotlight. And David, I guess first and foremost, I want to talk about it from kind of a journalistic point of view. There's so much to digest about Jimbo Fisher can you take me through the process of, of how you came to the, you know, how you kind of found the, the hook of your story or was the kind of thing that just kind of developed? Yeah, I mean, I think when you're a guy like Jimbo Fisher, who's been one of the biggest names in college coaching for, you know, what do we want to say, five, six, seven years, somewhere in there, um, since pretty early on when he kind of got Florida State going when he took over for, for Bobby Bowden, I, people know generally who Jimbo is, you know, the son of a coal miner, you know, West Virginia boy. I, I think there's, you know, there, there's not a lot of new ground to tread there, but so I don't, I didn't find the sort of who is Jimbo angle very interesting, but what I did find really interesting, uh, and we can get into this more. is just like, why is he doing this? Like, why, like what, what makes you, you know, I think we, we, we've sort of repeated it ad nauseum at this point, but you know nobody's made this move since 1977 of winning a national championship and leaving that program for a college job. It's a weird thing to do. And I, I think you know Florida State, I think you could certainly make the argument, at least historically, uh, a, a objectively better program than Texas A&M. Maybe you could make the case that A&M has a higher you know ceiling, but regardless of whether you want to have that conversation or not, the, the reality is that this was not a, an easy decision that like any coach would have made. There's something going on and something about Jimbo that made him say, yeah, this is where I want to go. And so that's what sort of the crux of the story was is, you know, I, I think I agree with you. This is probably the most impactful hire in the history of the state of Texas. Uh, and so why did he make it? Why is this happening? Like why did a move that, you know, when it first came up, you know, I don't know, the first time I heard it was in September. I'm sure it was kicking around before then. People laughed at it. People were like, oh, there goes those, you know, there goes those delusional Aggies again. Okay, well, it happened. So, like, why and kind of how did this happen? And that's sort of what's in the piece. And it's it's really interesting, you know, you mentioned the the idea that this is the most impactful hire in, in, in the state in it, and I totally agree. I was I, I did an interview recently where I said that, and then my Twitter mentions decided to explode. Um, I, I called it. <laughs> I think I think yeah, we can have another conversation about that. I think people I think people took took umbrage with your your, your use of seismic shift as though you were predicting that all of a sudden A&M was going to be winning like right. multiple national titles and Texas was going to be like six and six every year. Yeah. But I, yeah, I, whatever. I, yeah. <laughs> I don't, for the record, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think that that's, but, but I do believe that look, when you hire a guy like Jimbo Fisher and you do make, as you said, the most impactful hire in state history, that's a, that's certainly a tremor. I mean, and it's certainly, you know, for as, as much as we, 
uh, you know, as much as we knew how good Kevin Sumlin was uh, when he got hired, you know, to a certain extent, um, when 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 we knew uh, when we knew about you know Mike Sherman and and his his history, I mean, even you know Tom Herman, guys who have been hired around around the state. When you look at what Jimbo Fisher represents as far as what his resume is presently, it is so kind of mesmerizing that he is in that he went to Texas A&M uh, to build this program because as you mentioned it it just doesn't happen and and I know that when we went down there to talk with Jimbo Fisher and to do the photo shoot you know you you and I and, and the rest of the Dave Campbell's uh, staff were looking around and if you hadn't been to Aggieland in a while you look around and you look at the the facilities and you look at the resources that they have there and I think at that point it's a little easier to picture why, how somebody like Jimbo Fisher could see that and say, "Boy, yeah, this is this is certainly enticing." Yeah, I think so. You're dropping a lot of seismology takes. Sorry, uh, man. A lot of seismology. <laughs> a tremor. No, but the uh, yeah, I I think you know it's. I, I would agree that it makes sense. I I, I think. Um, the biggest thing that I think fans underrate, because every year the the coaching carousel, you always hear these like crazy, you know, this coach, this this A list coach is going to leave for this like B plus list job or whatever. Uh, you know, Gary Patterson was subjected to that all the time. Mike Gundy seems to have that all the time. I think what people never think about is the capital that these coaches have built up. Like Jimbo Fisher had a awful year last year at Florida State, but he was going to pretty much be there as long as he wanted to you know he's going to need about you know two or three more six and six seasons which is hard to do at florida state you're going to need a few more of those before people start having serious conversations about your job uh and so that is that that capital that you built up that that's uh worth that you have after you win a national title money can't buy that and so he was he willingly gave that up you know if he stumbles out of the gate and goes you know, seven and five, eight and four, eight and four at A and M, which is not bad, but it's not what he was hired to do. He's not going to be there. That's just true. <laughs> like he's and and if he is, he's going to be on really really thin ice. So he gave that capital up, and I think the, the the sort of why and the things that went into that, which we we feature prominently in the story, and I, I think we I think we got to an understanding of why Jimbo's at A&M and sort of the challenge that's ahead of him, um, I, I think those are answered in the story. And uh, you, of course, can read it in the 2018 summer edition of Dave Campbell's Texas Football. It's a, it's a great piece. I know I've read it twice, um, uh, you know, once to kind of edit it and once to, to really get a get a feel for, for what's in it. And the thing, the, the interesting thing that I think, um, I, I was flipping through, it's actually on my desk right now, the 1986 edition of Dave Campbell's Texas Football. So, 32 years ago, we had Jackie Sherrill on the cover, and it was a, uh, the cover is uh, Jackie Sherrill, The Making of an Aggie. And if you read through the story, it's really interesting that they talk about, uh, Jackie Sherrill has a lot of quotes who, who in, in this piece that, that says, yeah, I kind of had to learn what this place was about. And you kind of get the sense that, because A&M, I think we can all agree, is a singular it's a place. place. It's a singular <laughs> place in not just in the state of Texas, but in the college football landscape. And I think right, dare I say the world? Yeah, dare I say the world? Exactly. 
I wonder if you look around, you know, I to me what's going to be very interesting is, you know, how much Jimbo Fisher, who is already kind of an established brand, how much is going to change and morph because that job will change you. You have to be a bit of an you have to be an Aggie to coach the Aggies. How much will he become or will he become the exception and be like, no, I'm a hired gun. I'm in to, to win a national championship. I'm going to do things my way and A&M will change around me. I'm very interested in that kind of tact as well. I am, and I'll I'll give you another preview of the story. Two things. One, you know, Jackie Sherrill said it took him two and a half years to sort of get A&M, to just get it. Mm-hmm. That's a long time, I feel like. And I can't remember if it was Jackie or if it was R.C. Slocum, but he, you know, one of them, I think it was Jackie, basically said, if you don't get A&M, if you don't understand and embrace all the things that A&M is, the loyalty, um, the passion, which I do think, you know, people always say that about fan bases, but, like, it really is next level at A&M. And, and uh, I think anybody who's been in Texas long enough or is familiar with A&M's program, I think you can see it. It really is at a different level. Um, those things, you see, if you don't embrace those and understand those and learn about those, you can't win big at A&M. Um, because you just everything has to be working in lockstep. You have to, uh, you know, get everybody on the same page. Everybody moving in the right direction, and that's hard to do if fans don't feel like he gets us. He understands us. He knows what we're all about. Let's do this. Let's go all in. Um, and so I think that's where Jimbo is. I think no question. You know, he's learning. He, you know, I don't think it made the story, but he talked about, you know, just the, the tradition of muster. Which, if you're not a, uh, an A&M fan, basically. You know, there's meetings uh, all over the place. Obviously, the most prominent one in College Station um, that basically all of the uh, old ags that have died over the last year are, are sort of honored and remembered, and their families uh, come and, and they're and they're recognized basically. And Jibbo talked about how much that meant to him. Like it's just, uh, you know, he's like, this, it's just amazing that that kind of thing could happen. And you just don't see that at a lot of universities. And I think those are the kinds of things that that he's learning about and that he is, uh, you know, trying to embrace and get his arms around and, and be able to understand them so he can sell them on the recruiting trail of like, this is what you're trying to, this is what we're selling at A&M. This is when you come to A&M, this is what you're getting. And if you don't get that full picture and you can't differentiate why A&M is different from Oklahoma or Oklahoma state or Texas or, uh, Baylor or anybody that they're going to be competing for guys with, uh, you're going to have a hard time bringing those guys and recruiting at the level that you'd want to recruit at. And the same goes for fundraising and, and building buzz at the university. I just think this is this first year in this off season is about him trying to understand A&M and being able to, uh, pass that along to other people. It's, uh, it's an interesting place, and, and he's uh, he's slowly but surely figuring it out. It's a great piece there in the 2018 summer edition of Dave Campbell's Texas Football. I'm not just saying it because I'm the managing editor of the magazine. I also really actually like the piece. Um, you can you can pick it up in, in at the end of June is when the magazine will hit shelves, or you can order it now at TexasFootball.com. We'll mail it directly to you. We're really it's it's a great piece, and and I think that um, we kind of capture a different tact. Uh, from as opposed to as you mentioned, you know the biography's been done, but this is more of an explainer. You know, not not even an explainer, but it just kind of dives into the motives behind him, and 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 really, you kind of get inside his brain and kind of figure out, you know, why this is the job for him. And and I I, I feel like I understand better. I don't know if anybody will ever, besides Jimbo Fisher. Um, will ever actually know exactly why he's there, like what it was. But I feel like 
this piece gets at least closer. Because as you mentioned, and, and I know I've mentioned it before uh, in a couple of interviews, you know, the headline is that contract, right? It's 10 years, $75 million guaranteed. It is a, it is a even in college football, that's a ludicrous contract. Um, yeah, the guarantee is unprecedented. It, 10 years guaranteed. That just is not, that's not a thing that happens. It's not ever. a thing that happens. I feel like that's the headline, but, you know, in this piece, I think we, you dive into that, it's nice. He's not going to pass up the money, but I do feel like there is certainly other things in play that make it that that made this the right move for him. Yeah, I think uh, you know I, I mentioned this in the piece as well, um, but I, I think ultimately it comes down to a commitment, uh, a, a understanding of yeah, the money is nice, but I think the idea is that Jimbo. Whatever he needs at A and M, you know he's going to be able to snap his fingers and make it happen. There's going to be people running around. Let's make this happen. Let's do this. We got to win. We got to win. We want to do this. We're all we're all in. We're all committed. And I think, you know, I think certainly Florida State would challenge the assertion, but I think he he didn't really feel like that was the case at Florida State. I think he felt like the administration uh, and and others were kind of you know there was the dust up over the indoor facility, and I think people want to make it about the indoor facility or people want to make it about the money. Okay. Like those things, they're not wrong. Those things are factors, but it's not about that. It's about a mindset. I think Jimbo wanted to be at a place where whatever he needed or whatever he wanted or whatever he felt like, this is what we got to do to win. They're going to get that. Uh, and I think he just didn't feel like everyone was always pulling in the same direction uh, at, at, at Florida state. And so the indoor facility is, is kind of a symptom of the problem Jimbo Fisher did not leave Florida State because they were having trouble, you know, uh, getting this indoor facility thing to happen. That's not why he left. But it's a, it's a, it's a bigger issue. It's an issue of, okay, well, now we're talking about an indoor facility, but in five years, like, am I going to have to be pulling teeth to get like more money for my assistants? Am I going to have to be pulling teeth to do, you know, whatever, whatever that might be? And that is sort of uh, the idea is that I think at A and M, there's so much hunger. They want to win so bad that whatever he needs, you know. If he needs, uh, you know, a, a, a guy, you know, dishing out McGriddles outside his office, you know, 16 hours a day, they, they could probably make that happen. I don't know that he's going to want to do that. I don't know that that's good for his long-term <laughs> health. But, uh, you know, whatever he needs, he's going to get it, ain't him. It's, it's a full commitment down there, and, and, and I got that same vibe while we were down there, is that it is all hands on deck that A&M – is they now they've been you know I think that Kevin Sullivan served a purpose in getting them into the into the SEC and guiding them you know getting their feet wet and now I feel like they look around and they go okay we're used to this now we make the move now we can go for that national championship and and become the next Auburn right or become the you know let's be let's be honest there's just not that many spots at the very top that Alabama and Clemson level or you know to a certain extent Ohio State but there's no reason I think that they I think they look around and they go we should be Penn State we should be in the mm-hmm. hunt every single year there's no excuse not to be and I I really believe, you know you get in talking to people around A&M you get the feeling that like they're all in on this and they 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 all agreed and they said all right this is the guy we have to have to go do it yeah, I think you're right, and I think when you talk about you know trying to join college football's blue bloods, I mean AM is a big brand, but they're certainly not a blue blood. And I think when people talk about that, I think that you know 
they would like to be in a situation where like, you know, right now, nine to 10 year, 10 wins. That's kind of a peak year for A&M. I mean, they got, they got to 11 with Johnny, but like nine to 10 years is a really good year. They want to get to the point where nine to 10 years is a disappointing year. That's the basement. Mm-hmm. And that's really, that's really hard to do. That's really hard to do. I mean, it's, uh, if you've, you know, if you've never consistently done it before, I mean, you, you, you know, I, I, I say that, and I also say that I think Jimbo is the best possible coach to help them make, help them make that happen. But man, that's hard to do. It's. I mean, I think that when you look around at A and M and and the history of it, the thing is that it. I mean, the bottom line of it is that they have not won a conference title. You know, since um, boy, what? When when was the last time they won? Ninety eight. Ninety eight. Sir when Parker. Ninety eight. Yeah, yeah. When they won the Big Twelve. And, and that was even an upset. Yeah, I think it's different when you win a. I think it's different when you win a league. You know, I, I think also it's harder to win like a league outright than it is to you know mm-hmm. in a bad Big Twelve South at the time get to the Big Twelve championship and beat a elite K State team. Right, but it's been like you know you could make the real argument that. Like A and M, they've had stretches in their history where they've been like, oh, they've been really good and they've been a, a power. You know, uh, the '80s with Jackie Sherrill, you know, the '90s with with R C Slocum, you know, and then, but then, you know, that those are the exceptions as opposed to the rules. And you just get the feeling mm-hmm. that they're tired of that, and they say it's our time to make that move. Yeah, I think it's just consistency is so hard. I mean, you look at you know Dabble Swinney right now is one. I want to say seven years in a row of 10 wins or more. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, Nick Saban has done that. You know, uh, earmuffs for the Texas A&M fans. Mac Brown obviously had a, a memorable run uh, of, of double-digit win seasons where there's just that level of consistency. But even the elite programs, even the best, I mean, Auburn won two games before they went and won a national championship, like two years later, like yeah. or two years earlier. Like, even the, the, the like, you know, the best programs, that consistency is so hard to get. And I think that ultimately people talk about a national title as the end goal. And yeah, that's true. But I think A&M fans would be happy. And I think they would rather be in the mix every year. The 10, 11 wins the, the Penn state, I think right now is, is a good comparison of like, okay, maybe they're not winning the national t- national title, but they're like a factor. They're a problem every single year. That's, that's... So I think that's, that's ultimately what they want to do. Oh, you obviously want to win the national title, but if, if Jimbo Fisher never wins a national title, but he gets A and M to, you know, finish second in the West every year, right behind Bama, and wins and goes, you know, wins eighty games in the next seven seasons. They'll be happy with that, even if they don't get the national title. I really, truly think that. I, I, um, I think so. I think you're exactly right. And so that's, but like we said, <laughs> that's that's hard to do. That consistency, just with the roster turnover, you know, you can't have in college football. There's no such thing as a as a, as a Peyton Manning or a Tom Brady that like. Well, no matter what we have around him, we have this guy, and so because of that, we can't go worse than you know nine and seven. That does not exist in college football. Mm-hmm. There's so much turnover. You've got to recruit consistently and keep that up. We saw obviously the end of Texas's tenure. That's what hurt them. But so many recruiting misses. That was a problem for them. Um, and so they've got to figure out how they can do that and establish that that consistency. And that's something that they have not done really. Uh, very often for extended periods of time in the history of their football program. It's David Ubbin, uh, the author of the main feature of the 2018 summer edition of Dave Campbell's Text Football, uh, covering Jimbo Fisher. Um, David, you were around for uh, the rest of the magazine uh, production. You did one or two other things. I can't really 
remember. Um, but uh, I know one. You know, I do want to take a moment to, to mention that the you know the other main the other feature we have the other cover we have. Uh, is Ed Oliver, the Houston defensive lineman. Uh, y- you know, uh, David Barron of the Houston Chronicle wrote a tremendous piece on on Ed Oliver, who is... I'll just, I'll just ask you this question. Do you think it's possible to meet and become familiar with Ed Oliver and not have him be your favorite college football player in the country? <laughs> I don't think so. I, th- I think he... In this era in college football of sort of the... Like milk toast, whitewashed, no personality, guess for the team, you know, it's all my, you know, all this stuff. This, this, this era of, can we call it calculated dishonesty? That's what I would call Boy. public relations. You know, public relations, they're, they're too good at what they do to call their job calculated dishonesty. But that's a lot of what happens in college football. The, the personality of the sport is stripped outside of the coaches who have to be so they can recruit. But the pl- the coaches would rather have their players just you know be who they you know be the the you know the the stereotypical you know don't say anything sort of guy. Ed is not that guy. Ed is Ed. He's his own person, and uh, I think that is so good not only for him and for Houston but for college football to have a player like that. And I think it comes out in the piece. I think it does too. It's 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 a really remarkable piece, and and I I really enjoyed reading it from David Ubbin, or rather from David Barron, the other David. Um, who wrote that this feature? And you know, I'm I'm interested in, in kind of what you took away from from going down there um, for this photo shoot. We all went down there and did the photo shoot um, with Ed Oliver. He was very clearly excited to, to to do it, and you know, him screaming at the camera for 20 minutes is a a sound that I will <laughs> I will never be able to strip from my my mind. Um, That's a career highlight. <laughs> it it was a career highlight, and I'll tell you. You know the thing that the thing that strikes me about Ed Oliver is, you know, you mentioned his personality and that he's, you know, he he is Ed. I think that there is a fine line between being confident and arrogant. And Ed Oliver strikes me as a guy who is extraordinarily talented. Probably I we call him the most dominant player in America and I I truly believe that. He's extraordinarily talented. He knows he's extraordinarily talented. And he's not afraid to tell you that he's extraordinarily talented, but it always comes off with so much charisma that you never mind. You never, you never, you never say, "Oh, ah, oh, you know, Ed Oliver, he's he's too cocky." That I never got, even though he talked about how good he was, I never got the feeling that he was cocky. It's a really remarkable balance he strikes. It is, and I think too, I think two things help him. You know, people talk about, "Oh, he went to Houston." You know how you know. Uh, you know, he should, I'd like to see him go up against the SEC or, or you know, or Big Twelve or whoever you want to talk about, where the competition's a little better. And okay, that's that's fair when you're talking about putting together game tape. But I do think the interesting thing about being at Houston for him is it's if he's a defensive tackle at Houston, it's going to be really hard for him to get overexposed in the manner that like Johnny Manziel was or Baker Mayfield was. Like, imagine if Ed Oliver was Ed Oliver, but he was, like, a running back in the SEC. Dude, people would hate him. People would absolutely hate him. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, the fact that he's at a smaller conference, at a smaller school, a lot of people don't feel threatened by him. And he's, he can be entertaining, and he can be who he is. Um, and I don't think you see very much of this, but I think just in general there's a larger conversation to be had 
for like why fans want to have the like weird false modesty. Like when players start talking about like, yeah, I'm really good. Yeah, uh, nobody can block me. Yeah, like why some people get that rubbed in the wrong way. I don't think you see that with Ed. I could see it maybe becoming a, a, a thing this year. I don't know why people always sort of want that. It's like so. Like, it's like I said before. So basically, you demand calculated dishonesty out of your players. Of like, no, actually, like. There's no one in this conference that can block me. We're not going to play anyone that can consistently. They can double and triple team me. And I'm still probably going to be a factor. I'm still going to get, you know, the guys around me open for tackles. And if they go, if they, God forbid, try to cover me with one guy, it's going to be a problem for the opposing offense. Like, those are facts. Mm-hmm. Why, would, you know, I don't know why people, you know, I, I, like I said, I, I don't think it necessarily applies to at all. I think it definitely applies to college football players in general. Uh, and I think that uh, we'd be doing a disservice to the sport and ourselves and this is supposed to be entertainment if people want Ed Oliver to be anything other than Ed and if there's nothing else that comes out of that piece and that is that uh, Ed Oliver is unapologetically Ed Oliver and it is uh, amazing we have conflated confidence with classlessness and that's a good point first of all we like I have grown to hate the word class or classy because I think like that's what we use to describe somebody who is like sportsmanlike and like you know says a nice thing or something like that. We we oh we've overexposed that word. That oh you know we, you know somebody does something that is you know in the heat of battle or they 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 you know they're confident and all of a sudden it's like ah oh, they're real classy. You know what I mean? We have mm-hmm. we have mm-hmm. conflated that. That's that's not to say that there are people who are not classy because there there certainly are, but. I also think we've overvalued that. I don't want I thought, great yeah. college football players to be classy. I want great college football players to be great. Yeah, I think it's. I think the thing that for me, where I draw the line, is you know to get into a, a sort of hashtag facts only uh, conversation here. If what you're saying is true, then you shouldn't need anybody to defend you. Like, if, but if Ed Oliver says, "Yeah, there's nobody in college football that can block me," yeah, it's true. Mm-hmm. If he's out here saying like. I'm better than Dominican Sue or like, you know, or I make Aaron Donald look like, you know, a high school or whatever. Okay. Well, that's kind of annoying, Ed, but he's not saying that kind of stuff. Like, you know, I think like there's a difference between Ed Oliver and like LeVar Ball being like, I could take Michael Jordan one-on-one. Like that's just annoying. <laughs> I find him endlessly entertaining, but I don't blame the people that like hate him. But like Ed is just a different uh, kind of guy. And I just think we've had so few of those kinds of guys. Not only, the guys that are that are open about like how good they are, and I wanted to talk about that, but like coaches who aren't going to like lose their mind and lock them away from the media for five years, their entire career, if they feel like that. Like Major, to his credit, is sort of letting Ed be Ed, and I think the sport and Houston and Ed and all of us are going to be better off for it. They are going to be fun to watch, regardless of that. You know, uh, you know, you wrote the Houston section. Um, we we already ha- aired an interview with um, Major Applewhite on the Republic of Football. Uh, this very podcast, and with Kendall Bryles in the mix, like I think it's I think it's comfort. I'm comfortable saying that Houston will be one of the most compelling teams in the nation. Maybe not the best. I agree. They may not win the American Athletic Conference, but I think they're going to be they're going to have so many interesting storylines around them. Not to mention the most dominant player in college football. That I think they're going to be must see TV every single week. 
I'm with you. I think uh, breakout year for De'Eric King. Knocking on the door for sure. Uh, we are talking with David Ubbin, uh, wrapping up this uh, episode of the Republic of Football. But I do want to ask you, you know, you wrote 10 uh, sections of FBS. So you covered 10 different teams uh, here uh, in the 2018 summer edition of Dave Campbell's Texas Football. Uh, you know, we don't have time to go through all, all of them. But I'm interested in the idea, you know, there are some teams that you write about and it's a job. And then there are some teams that you write about and you go, okay, I'm legitimately interested in learning more about this team. Were there one or two teams or even one or two players or one or two coaches uh, that over the course of, of doing your work for the 2018 Summer Edition to Dave Campbell's Texas Football that you found yourself gravitating towards, that you found yourself more interested in? You know, Texas is an interesting place because I think it, uh, the coaches that are in the state like, there's really not very many guys who are just like, oh, this guy is a difficult person. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of them are, are relatively forthcoming. They're all like, you know, we talk about this in the office. Like, every college coach has to have some level of, like, crazy. And there's some of that, but it's not a crazy that is just like, I would dread dealing with them. Like, they're usually pretty entertaining. Um, so I think this year, you know, Texas Tech is pretty interesting with their sort of defensive situation and, like, this will be the least, I think it's fair to say this will be the least offensive talent that Cliff Kingsley probably ever had on a team. I think it'll be an interesting test for him of like, okay, he's got all these defensive guys. Can they actually make the improvement that you need? And can you, you know, get some twine and some duct tape and, you know, a bunch of guys who have never really played before and turn it into like a good offense? They do have five returning serves in the offensive line, which should not. So Texas Tech, I think, is interesting. I mean, Cliff and his staff, you know, it's pretty open, and Cliff is pretty honest. And, and David Gibbs, uh, you know, one of my favorite assistants to deal with the Big 12, he's a good dude, and, and is always pretty honest. Uh, they're pretty interesting. Um, I think, too, you know, TCU is going to be really good. I, I'm very curious to see, you know, their skill position talent is, I think, at this point, better or as good, certainly, than maybe any that they've ever had in terms of depth. I don't know if there's a, you know, a Josh Doxson on this roster yet. I, don't think, I think Jalen Rager is probably still a year away from being, like, an elite, elite guy, but I think he'll be a thousand-yard guy this year relatively easily. Um, so that'll be interesting to watch. Um, but I will say the other sort of under-the-radar, and I think I, was, I think I was subtly mocked for this in the office, but I think I am uh, – the captain of the North Texas hype train. Would you say that's accurate? I, I mean, we bought you a hat, like a conductor's hat. So yes, <laughs> yes, yes. You are I you are all aboard the hype train. It's two things. Okay, one, the defense can't be worse. Two, Mason Fine and all of his targets are back, and I think they'll be fine at receiver. They got some offensive line issues to deal with. But here is the thing: if you believe, like many do that Florida Atlantic will waltz through the CUSA again, here is what you believe. You believe that by replacing Kendall Bryles, who we had a conversation with Major about Kendall and sort of the uh, problematic issues with his arrival, but we'll just talk football right now. You believe that by replacing Kendall Bryles, who all those other issues aside, I think we can agree is maybe a top five offensive coordinator in college football. You replace him with 24-year-old Charlie Weiss Jr., and you will not have any drop-off. You will still win your conference. That is what you're believing if you buy into Florida Atlantic as a remaining juggernaut. I, 
I think North Texas is going to be improved. I think Florida, Florida Atlantic will have a uh, noticeable drop-off. And I think that ends with North Texas uh, winning the title this year. And they've also got Florida Atlantic in Denton, it's worth noting. So I think, in short, those are sort of the three things I took away from, from the, the, the sections that we did this year because I spent so much time, you know, we spent so much time talking about Texas and Texas A&M. This is kind of getting a little bit closer and a, 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 a sort of, you know, closer look at some of the the, the lesser programs in, in the state of Texas is always interesting. It, it was, I know. Uh, I for, for example, I will just say this and, and we'll wrap it up because I know you've got busy things for your new employer to, to, to do, but um, I thought your UTEP section was really interesting. And I know that like UTEP is the is is the program that nobody thinks about in the state because for two reasons. One, it's in El Paso, which is way out there, and two, because they are very bad and they were the only winless FBS team in in the country last year. But I found that to be compelling and I think that that's one of the things that, you know, as as capital J journalists if you will, our a, a lot of our job is to find the interesting in things that other people don't find interesting, and and I thought, for example, your I thought your interview, your your you know conversation with Dana Dimmel, the new coach out there, you said was was interesting, and and sometimes that's kind of the some the, the joy of this job now that you're off doing something else, um, but the joy of this job is that you do you are kind of forced in a way to pay attention to these other programs, and in that you find interesting nuggets in places you didn't think you would. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. I think with UTEP, you know, Dana just sees a, a, a lot of potential in that program, and I think he sees a comparison. You know, he was there in the early days of the North Carolina Manhattan 1.0, came back for 2.0, but he's he compared it to K-State, and I think that's why he felt like he was a, a good fit for that job, and, and clearly the UTEP administration agreed. Mm-hmm. He is David Ubbin. Uh, follow him on Twitter at David Ubbin and uh, subscribe to the Athletic. I will say that you should spend your uh, your uh, journalism dollars with TexasFootball.com first, but then after that, <laughs> only if, then, if you have leftover money, uh, subscribe to the Athletic. There's of course great stuff, and and if you're into Tennessee. Uh, you can, you will, you now have the man on the beat uh, that you're going to want to go to uh, every single day. Uh, he is David Ubbin. Um, David, appreciate your time and um, take care. Best of luck. Best no of luck problem, avoiding guys. Rocky Top. I will. Uh, that's going to be tough to do. That's going to be tough to do. I'll have to get a soundproof, uh, some soundproof glass in my office. So I'll, I'll, I'll figure something out though. I'll rig it up. Thanks, guys. Always good to talk. That is all for this edition of the Republic of Football, driven by your North Texas Honda dealers. Their job to be helpful. Find your local North Texas Honda dealer and find out how they can be helpful for you. For David Ubbin, I am Greg Tepper. Thank you for tuning in. We will see you next time on the Republic of Football.